0: on the edge of a fen fireflies light the misty air down beneath the root wall lies my den, my lair the filtered moonlight trickles down through the branches of the trees shining on the spanish moss that's swaying in the breeze all the frogs go silent as i go passing by Even the night hawks, they stifle their cries. While the alligator sleeps in his duckweed pond. I silently lap up water, then I swiftly abscond. There's mud in my veins and muck in my arteries. My breath is like sulfur, keeps away the mosquitoes and fleas. My teeth are sharper than Greenbrier thorns, my heart is the place where bitterness is born. At daybreak, the red winged blackbirds sing of my misdeeds as they flit and flap and fly around in the cattail reeds. They sing, Swamp and Wolf, don't let the darkness engulf. There's someone that you need to find. They sing, Swamp and Wolf. Don't let the darkness go. You need someone to change your mind. You need someone to open your mind.
1: Hey, welcome to the Swamp and Wolf podcast. I'm your host, Chris Garza. I have a great episode today. It's my friend, Dr. Jade Hagen. And she is. A real treat to speak to because she is incredibly smart um, and just has so much to offer on all the things that I'm interested in right now Um, mental health spirituality and um, philosophy, things of that nature and she um, you'll hear the story about how we met and uh, re-met, um, but I'm really glad that we did because we've been seeing each other fairly regularly now and having just fantastic conversations, and um, I knew when I started this, I m- immediately wanted her to be on it, and I'll probably invite her back multiple times because I just really enjoyed uh, our conversations, and um, we had great conversations prior to and after the podcast recording um and it's just like man i wish i wish all of our conversations could be recorded and shared cuz she's just got so many interesting things to say um but uh yeah without too much you know without giving away too much uh we'll jump into it uh let's switch things up i will just go straight into the podcast and then maybe we'll do um the commercial and a little break later on in the show so enjoy this episode hey this is chris and this is the swamp and wolf podcast i'm here sitting on my couch with dr jade hagan um I say hello to the folks at home
2: <laughs> hey folks at home jade hagan here happy to be here with with chris
1: Yeah, so uh, I'm going to do the same thing I did on the episode with Summer, talk about how we met first. Um, So do you want to tell the story or should I? You can tell (laughs) it. All right. Um, So uh, I met Jade through Bumble dating app, um, and that was just over a year ago, I think, in August. Mm -hmm. And... um, So August 2019, and we went and we had a few drinks at La Karoff, this amazing, uh, really old bar in Houston, I think the oldest bar in Houston, and um, well, we had a great conversation that night, or multiple conversations about philosophy and environmental things, yeah, and. and I guess another thing that I should mention about you is Jade bikes everywhere. She has, <laughs> hold on one second. I'm going to get this for Heyduke.
2: Oh, I know that feeling. It's just out of reach.
1: <laughs> Sorry about that. Heyduke had a toy that was stuck under the tea cart. Um, but yeah, so Jade doesn't have a car. And that's a choice that she made, right? I mean, it was like, yeah, basically environmental reasons and
2: yeah, it's personal reason, uh, environmental reasons and otherwise. But um, been been biking around since whew, um, about 12 years now.
1: Yeah. And I didn't find out until
2: what? Well, I think we should stop. Hold back on. Back up. Back up. <laughs> um, so we had this date at La Carafe. We had this great conversation and i remember um thinking like being pleasantly surprised by you meeting you in person yeah. um but also what kind of felt like maybe you just weren't into it or something um i felt like there was some skepticism about the sorts of things i was saying or, or just uh, not as as warm of a reception although it's hard to tell other feelings, so I think that's that's important for understanding that the next year. But anyway, um, yeah, So sure. we both we both had like things that we didn't say.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, so and we, we didn't can,
2: talk for can, a year. We went out and we um, never spoke again.
1: Yeah, basically. I mean, if we want to put it in today's terms, I ghosted you, <laughs> right? I mean, like I didn't I didn't reach back out. I actually really enjoyed our, our, our date, but yeah, I didn't reach back out. Um, and
2: I, I guess you didn't go, I mean, and neither did I, so. But for, for reasons that became clear to some extent.
1: Yeah. Um, we can come back to that, I think. Yeah. One thing that I found interesting. <laughs> okay. So, uh, I offered you a ride home that night because you were on your bike and I texted you and I got home and I was like, hey, did you make it home okay? And uh, you were like, yeah, I made it home fine. (laughs) You texted back. Um, Well, basically a year later, not quite a full year, I reached back out to Jade. Um, I met someone who said something that reminded me of you and I decided to give you a call just on a whim, like what, it must've been 11 months later or something. And um, I left you a voicemail, because she didn't answer. Uh, and I was like, well, she's probably avoiding my call if she has my number saved. You know, it's this guy from a year ago who, you know. No, my
2: well, phone's that- just always on silent, but I can see why <laughs> you might think that. Yeah.
1: yeah. So that was my first thought. It was like, well, of course she wouldn't answer. Like, I never reached out to her after that first date. And. um And so a little later I'm lying in bed reading Siddhartha. I'm literally on the last page of Siddhartha and my phone rings and it's Jade. And um, I get Hayduke on a leash and and, uh, just start walking and catching back up with Jade. And catching her up on my life, I told her the whole uh, March experience that I had. If you're confused about that, go re listen to episode number 1. <laughs> Who was them over here. <laughs> um and uh and we've been hanging out since. We've been uh, meeting up fairly regularly and having nice deep philosophical conversations going back to environmental and ecological and stuff like that, but
2: yeah, and for me it was interesting. You left me a voicemail saying like, "Hey Jade, um, I think we met about a year ago." Um, I just was uh, thinking of you recently and give me a call back and it was very cryptic and so I didn't know what you meant, but I called you back and it was just very bizarre because my only memory, I hadn't thought of you even really for about a year and I had recently just told someone that story. Oh, right, so Chris's, Chris's journey was like the thing that was obscured to me, but, um, the thing that I, I hadn't told him was that the night that we had gone out, I, I had ridden my bike home and gotten in a bike wreck, um, which, in my you know 12 or now actually 14, 14 years of biking, if I think about it, I have I haven't gotten in too many serious wrecks, but this was a serious one. I had um, torn torn a rotator cuff, and so had had to go the To the doctor the next morning was in physical therapy but anyway i just remembered that this person was like this kind of skeptical rational person who didn't seem very interested in my humanities background (laughs) or at least that was what i presumed uh, you know
1: probably to an extent you're Uh, correct i mean like i think i was interested but not as interested as i am now for sure
2: yeah and so you start telling me about this experience you have and the whole time you're talking I I feel like I can uh, was anticipating what you were going to say but I almost couldn't believe it I was in disbelief because it just seemed like too wild (laughs)
1: like a totally different person or um it (laughs) was just more
2: like it's like um how do I put this it was more like it, 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 in a one way, it was like exactly what I expected, but not because I expected it of you. It's more like when you started telling me about your experience and what came out of it, uh, that made complete sense to me. And so, the more I was hearing about like the nature of the experience, I was like, okay, like um, he sort of he sort of gets it, and um, and I felt like I was we were sort of anticipating each other's thoughts about a lot of things. And uh, I felt like I I knew that I knew what direction you were headed once you started talking. And that was like a very uncanny feeling.
1: Yeah. Well, I guess in talking to you, it sounds like, and, and even before talking to you, it's, it's not necessarily a unique experience, right? I mean, lots of people, potentially do something like ayahuasca and then they have a, a life shift like that and it's almost kind of predictable <laughs> to an extent or I, mean, I don't, I don't know. think
2: it's predictable, but i I feel like predictable in a bad way. I feel like these kinds of experiences with psychedelics specifically in this um, in the way that you took it in this this more serious taking it seriously, which is what I think psychedelics are are meant for. Um, using them as medicine I feel like the outcomes it's not that they're predictable but it's that there is some degree of like what you can expect and it's almost as if if you don't have these realizations then you must not have had the trip because even people who have really bad trips and I, I sort of have studied this in, in multiple ways, like both experientially and also um, academically. But yes, there is like a whole literature of using psychedelics to come to these different realizations about the mind and about reality. And I feel like um, that is par for the course sort of sort of thing. It's not gonna be the exact same for everyone, but those who have like a truly I feel like psychedelics are mind expanding and so if you had a true experience with them or you know a good enough experience, a strong enough experience, you're bound to be changed by it.
1: Yeah. Um, so that's kind of an interesting point because there's so much of my experience that I don't even really remember. Um, and. I guess it wasn't like, you know, I met up with someone on the other side who was like, dude, just be open. (laughs) Like, calm down, stop being so uptight. You know, live your life differently. It wasn't like something like that, you know? But I just felt like a different person the next day. Um, It's almost, has less to do with what I experienced during the trip as much as just having having it as a form of medicine or something which in turn makes me think sometimes about like, um, how much of it was just chemical. Um, like, first of all, my depression, you know, was it just, you know, chemicals in my brain that were making me depressed and was this medicine just something that changed those, those chemicals? And is there a potential for that to chemically shift back and just, regardless of my new mindset, which in my head, the way that I'm experiencing life in the world now, I feel like uh, I would never go back to depression. (laughs) But is that just, you know, my chemicals in my brain talking? And it's like, no, it's, you know, it's not up to you really, it's just like chemistry. Um I don't know. I hope it's I, it's I feel like not.
2: I feel like even if it is quote unquote just chemicals in your brain, um that phrase can be used to dismiss things, uh especially the, the religious dimension of of psychedelics. Um it's long been used as a way of oh, this chemical experience you're having is just um it's just that. It's not a true and I feel like, you know, if a substance can actually alter the structure of your your brain, that's pretty radical. And so I feel like that's not a, a reason to discount it. Um, the other thing I would say is that, and this sort of gets to a topic I've been pretty interested in for a long time, but also it's just foremost in my consciousness because I, I'm a... Um, educator, and this is something I've been talking about in my classes, but there's a non-verbal or even like non-symbolic dimension to, to the psychedelic experience, which can't be described in words. And I feel like that paradigm-shifting mindset, um, while the brain chemistry is still open to perhaps different Different changes, um, different moods, etc., etc., I feel like the paradigm shift will be pretty permanent. And I think that it, the reason I, I connect that to something non symbolic or, or hard to articulate is because I do think that people who have had psychedelic experiences understand something about reality and our minds that people who have never had that sort of. not necessarily psychedelic but some sort of mind-altering deep religious experience or deep um, paradigm shifting experience I feel like that paradigm shift never you can't unsee what you've seen in a way yeah and so um, I can't speak to whether or not I don't know that that depression is or isn't a possibility I sure. think it's, it's um, <laughs> being used more and more, these substances are being more and more used for mental health, and I think that's, that's a positive step. Uh, and there's a lot of research to be done. But I do think that the fundamental paradigm shift, um, especially because it is something you've experienced now, mm-hmm. is something that will always stick with you. It it will evolve and you will add different things, but Mm -hmm. I feel like that uh, you will never be the same. You will never go back to being the way that you were before. Not that that was bad, but just that um, (laughs) there are certain things that you have now seen and appreciated uh, that I feel like you can't um, undo.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, also in episode one, um, the person that I mentioned who brought up these two things, that was Jade, the person who said, um, try to, or, or why don't you say the two things that you do? Uh, oh, it was very Because I didn't want to misinterpret. No, 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 Did you didn't, you <laughs> didn't
2: misinterpret. Um, I, I thought you were going to say something different though. Uh, I remembered the two things a little bit differently, but essentially, actually, they're the same. So the, the one that you mentioned about trying to to be see the world as though you're in love Uh um that was right on i do sometimes think this this started for me and during the pandemic um i just started thinking like what is my best self (laughs) Mm -hmm. and i felt like my best self is like the self that's that's in love
1: um so that was a new thing for you like Relatively. you came up with that like in like, during the pandemic.
2: Yeah, like in April or May. Yeah. Oh.
1: Well, I love that. I mean, that was like, <laughs> that was great. When you um, said that, it was like oh, I, that really resonated with me.
2: And it did with me too. I mean, the thing funny thing was was I think we were all struggling, especially this was early on April or so, right, with the pandemic and. I, I sort of just was like feeling like I needed a different mindset. So that's what I.
3: Oh, that
2: what was that? It's
1: my, so Heyduke somehow started my Roomba. Oh, nice. <laughs> I think you um, had a toy over there. It's a sign. <laughs> um, all right. Sorry, where were we? Talking about the the whole shift in your mindset. Because of the pandemic.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think at the beginning of the pandemic, everyone was, was struggling a bit. And so I was looking for some way to, like, have a different way of looking at things. Because I was home, you know, stuck with my dog. And she's great company, but she can't talk back to me. Uh-huh. At least not in the way I'm used to. And I was looking for a way to see things differently. Because it really seemed pretty dire at that point. and still, still does, but... Anyway, so that was the first first one, or or maybe I mentioned the second when we were speaking. But the other one that I had mentioned um, was about ritual, actually, and it, it uh, did have to do with this with this like way of looking at things differently, uh-huh. um, because I feel like that's what ritual can do for you. Uh, but I'm I'm big into rituals lately, and <laughs> it was funny that the day of your first podcast. I was listening to it, and I have this this horoscope app, which I, I find funny or or useful to read. I find it a, an interpretive tool, and it, it has like this list of dos and don'ts. Okay. And the dos were um, plants, swamps rituals.
3: <laughs> and I
2: was like, this encapsulates like everything I want. <laughs> and just hearing your story about Swamp and Wolf it it made a lot of sense. So um,
1: That's funny. Uh yeah, so I totally misinterpreted that. No, one. no, like,
2: I we I remember us talking about like looking at the way that ritual allows you to look at the world differently and, and that's where that bit came about like and I told you the story about how I used to to live in New Orleans and yeah. I always peed outside and there was one time when I came outside and it just like was morning and there was dew on the grass and it was just the most beautiful thing mm-hmm. uh, and it was actually after a, a, a mushroom trip the night before
3: okay.
2: <laughs> um, that I had realized this but I do think that what all of these things give you is that view of wonder which I feel like is so like What's the right word? Um, it's just underappreciated. I feel like in our current society, there's a lot of cynicism and there's mm-hmm. not a lot of appreciation for. There's I, I see it in my students. I have I teach freshmen at mm-hmm. Rice University and, and they come in and um, it takes a lot to get them like surprised by something, even though a lot of things are happening are new. And I feel like we've lost that sense of wonder. Mm hmm. So all of them, all of the things you described were right on in terms of like, how can we cultivate a mindset that mm-hmm. gets us back to that sense of wonder? Because to me, that's what being in love is feels like. It's like mm-hmm. everything you do is like heightened
3: mm-hmm. because
2: you're curious about it. And that curiosity, I feel like we just, we forget yeah. a lot of times in our daily lives.
1: Yeah. I did notice one thing, you know, I was talking about like appreciating little simple things in nature and I i was just, I did a lot of hiking last weekend. I was on my way to El Paso and stopped at several places along the way and I'd started to make a note. Well, I've, I've been keeping a, a note of, uh, what have I, I call it magic moments. Okay. So. <laughs> I had this little journal and I just put like one or two words to describe magic moments that I experienced during that day. And it can be like um, a spider web glinting or something like, and it's like the way that the spider web was like waving in the wind and glinting light. Um, And I started to realize that so many of the things that I'm attributing magic to are non-biological I think for the longest time I was so focused on, like, identifying plants, mushrooms, insects, whatever it was, and I was taking for granted all the, like, there's still natural things, you know, but just non-biological things. So, like, the way light is hitting something or the way water, you know, uh, is rippling and things like that. I took so much of that for granted because I was so focused on the biological. Yeah. Uh, And now I'm like looking at that stuff and actually appreciating it. And I still love the biological stuff too, but it doesn't seem to spark the same kind of excitement in me Mm -hmm. as that non-biological stuff. Uh,
2: But I would say the sunlight glinting on a a spider web—that's a biological thing. I mean, it's an abiotic right thing. um, Sure. But. Yeah, this is this is something that is interesting in, in thinking about ecology. I think a lot of times we think of ecology as having to do with like the organisms, but the other side of ecology is the, the, the environment. Abiotic,
3: yeah.
2: <laughs> and uh, the environment is made up of these abiotic, you know, rocks and stones and sunlight. And mm-hmm. um, sunlight's sort of like this er metaphor. Um, Earth force mm-hmm. on Earth, because you know it drives all these biological. we wouldn't be able to exist without the sunlight,
1: right. Yeah, no, but I don't know. I just I found it interesting. Um, and the other thing that I found interesting is I was keeping a really good record of these magic moments. and then I started realizing that I'm having them now every time I walk my dog. And I'm looking at the sky. I'm like, oh, those clouds are beautiful. Like this is one of those, oh, the moon. Mu- the moon is still out. Like look at the way it's just a sliver. Like that was last night. It was the t- faintest sliver of moon. It was so beautiful. And then this morning, um, the sun was like, it was one of those suns you could look at, you know. And it was like th- this beautiful orange glow, but it wasn't so bright that like it hurt your eyes. I mean, it's still probably bad for your eyes to stare too long, but. <laughs> um, But anyway, I'm just, I'm like, uh, I'm not going to put that in the Magic Moments, I don't think. Like, I'm not going to write that in because now I'm just like having these every single time I go for a walk. I'm going to save the Magic Moments notebook for like really special stuff. I don't know. Because at this point, I'm seeing it everywhere now.
2: Yeah, I think that's interesting. And one of the things that struck me just talking to you lately and um, thinking about these things, uh, these experiences that we all have is, is these, what I like to call following William Blake, a poet, um, my new particulars. I think my sort of idea of the sublime, there's this romantic, romantic in the sense of romanticism, uh, romantic poets sort of thing. There's this romantic idea of the sublime and it's very large, it's very, it's something that overwhelms you, but for me, it's always been the sublime of the minute particulars. Mm-hmm. Um, I think those sorts of experiences are really important, actually. But that's great that they're becoming more common for you, and it it does uh, speak to the mind shift that you've been talking about, and just that wonder that I mentioned a, a minute ago about. Mm-hmm just having wonder at these little things. I feel the same way I was walking (laughs) this morning. I'm not usually up this early on a Saturday, but I got up early today and I got up at six and here in Houston it was very much still dark Mm -hmm. and I wanted to walk my dog this morning and so I did. And yeah, it was just a very interesting experience to be walking around my streets At that hour because it was dark but not dark in the way nighttime is dark Mm -hmm. and I felt like it was one of these moments that you sort of appreciate the stillness and um, just the atmosphere of of the moment Mm -hmm. of of it being like the moment before dawn Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah so I think those can be magic moments
1: yeah. I mean, I think they still are. I just don't know if I want to waste space you, in my, right,
2: right. in
1: my, I have like a tiny right in the rain journal. And it's like, oh, I'm going to fill this thing up fast if I put in sunrise, clouds, moon every single day. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, but yeah. Uh, do you, have you started any new rituals that you'd like to share? Um. Or what are some of your rituals that
2: I mean, I feel, feel like I'm always trying to to come up with new rituals. I mean, ritual to me is is a very broad term. It can mean it can mean something pretty formal, like um, lighting. Like I, I read tarot, mm-hmm. which I don't think we've done yet. I have a William Blake tarot. Um,
3: yeah,
2: that'd be awesome. And there's a process around that. I feel like there's like a, a I go into a state where it's. There's a formalized process, and I feel like there's a there's a ritual there, mm-hmm. um, the shuffling, the the candles, the like laying out of the cards, the mm-hmm. conversation, the way I speak.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but then there are more mundane rituals. Like I've realized that my probably my favorite part of the day is the morning and just after I get up because mm-hmm. if I know. I have this routine and Mm -hmm. so I think rituals can be routines as well. It's, you know, get up, I take my dog on a walk, usually for 45 minutes to an hour, I come back to my apartment, I I meditate, I take care of my plants and it just feels like in in those moments, um, the ritual aspect is treating it as like this protected time Mm-hmm. that I, I know I'm not going to be rushing a lot of times I'll, I'll look at my phone and I'll see I have an email from a student and I'll think like okay well if I start answering this student's email I'm going to get out of my routine mm-hmm. um, I won't appreciate it and
0: mm-hmm. I won't
2: appreciate like this morning so I think that's a that's an important sort of ritual for me is is really taking my morning for myself mm-hmm. um, and then bedtime I don't know that the, the Things I've been adding a lot more are writing-related, mm. um, journaling, mm-hmm. which I feel like, I don't know, it, it's, it's this thing I always want to be doing, but it kind of, you know, it's sort of the first thing to go when you're out of time or energy, and so mm-hmm. um, I feel like adding a writing routine to my bedtime ritual <laughs> is something that's, that's interesting to me. Mm -hmm. but I I want I want we've talked about this before I I want to make more rituals I want to make anything into a ritual Yeah, I feel like there's so much potential to really appreciate things more in in that context if you just see it through that frame
0: Right.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's great I mean wouldn't it be great if your whole day was just rituals instead of yeah (laughs) If you didn't think about it as work, but you thought about it as a ritual or something. I don't know I don't know if that's Possible. I, yeah, I mean, it because... reminds me.
2: <laughs> it reminds me of um, performance art. Um, I think I, I've really come to appreciate performance art because I feel like that a lot of it is is that is ritualizing some aspect of our everyday lives. Mm-hmm. I mean, I like lots of different kinds of art, but I feel like um, there's even these things called experienced designers. And I feel like that's like sort of like my dream <laughs> is to be this experience designer, like basically design these experiences for people uh, that involve a certain element of risk but also vulnerability and courage and bravery uh, and they sort of get you to think in a different way. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's what performance artists are, are so good at and I, I realize in the art world there's a sort of view of performance art as not really art Mm -hmm. Um, because it doesn't have this, a lot of times it's just people doing everyday things, Mm -hmm. but I feel like that ritualizing of those things is really powerful for people to see. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if you, if you, if you are interested in performance art or anything or
1: I haven't really gotten into it. I can't say that like, um, I've looked into it too much. Um, it's interesting though. I can see that.
2: I feel like my my goal in life is to be a performance artist twenty four seven. Not not really not completely seriously, but like at least halfway seriously. Yeah. Uh, to be able to turn like every aspect of my life into this thing that just really makes you see it in this whole new way. Yeah.
1: Um, That's cool. Um. I I actually, I remembered you talking about rituals, but I didn't remember that being one of the two things. In my mind, I got that mixed up with the other, you know, sing. But I've been trying to kind of make new rituals, too.
2: What are your new
1: rituals? Well, one of them that's not working is, I'm, I'm just not waking up early enough to do this, but, like, I have, like, a record collection, you know, and it's not super huge, but, I wanted to like make time in the morning to just sit and put on a record and like drink some tea and not, you know, kind of not look at my phone. Just relax, you know, pet the dog um, and just listen to the music. Um, And I'm able to kind of do that on my weekends, but during the week, I'm just like not, not putting in the effort to make time in the morning to do that. Or finding other stuff to do to fill that time. Um but one that I I have been doing consistently while I've been home, I got um Ram Das's Be Here Now and I'll light candles before I go to bed and just like I read one page a night and just like really think about that one page, you know, like what he said in that one page. And um that's been really nice. Because um, they're very, you know, even though it's just one page, there's a lot to think about. Yeah, I was going to say, there, there's,
2: there's <laughs> lots of illustrations and, and drawings. and. Um...
1: Yeah, it was not what I expected. So I had heard about his book, Be Here Now. And um, I was actually following someone on, on Instagram who they shared a story of, the, they had the book outdoors, and the wind was blowing the pages open and you know in a story you can like put your finger on it and it pauses it i paused it and it was a page with art from the book steppenwolf (laughs) it was this for mad men only door um which is something from the book and i had no idea what this book was i typed in i was like what is this book that you're reading like the page that I stopped it on like was something from Steppenwolf and I got really excited. You know, she's like, let's be here now. And I was like, that's be here now. Like I, I knew that was a book that I wanted, but I thought it was a book book. I didn't realize it was illustrated. Um, and that's the way it looked and everything. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm going to buy that right now (laughs) and immediately ordered it. Um, and actually I got the idea for that ritual from her. She said she reads a page a day. Um, so, yeah, that's that's been a really cool one. Um, and then uh, other things, I guess, aren't necessarily consistent. Like when I do yoga, I light candles and incense and stuff, but I don't necessarily do yoga every day. I don't know. I, don't, I guess that's not necessarily a requirement to be a ritual, but um, it is something nice to do. Kind of sets sets a mood for. The experience. Mm-hmm. So I I I do like that ritual thing too.
2: Yeah, uh, setting up the environment, I feel like uh, it's very important. Yeah, be here now is great. I it it has this one the one that sticks out to me is and it's I don't remember the exact words, but I'm paraphrasing, but it's basically this image of I feel like it might even be a Hindu deity because of the multiple arms, but it's someone like balancing on one leg, on a surfboard, and they <laughs> it says like you can't, you can't stop the waves, but you can learn to, to surf.
3: Uh-huh.
2: Um, and I'm I'm paraphrasing, but and that's like a, a sort of, meme within like New Age literature, which I I. Um, Appreciate and I I find myself saying it to other people a lot because I think it really does capture the way we're all kind of Riding these waves Uh Uh, and it's the You know the wisdom of it is that um, you can't stop these the change the emotions and whatnot, but Mm -hmm. you can learn to um, Sort of ride atop of it, and I feel like that's been a very useful thing, but yeah, Ram Dass is an interesting figure. Definitely sort of epitomizes this this thing that I might be going through myself, which is he was like this Harvard trained psychologist mm-hmm. and like Timothy Leary mm-hmm. and um was just feeling, you know, he had all the sort of worldly success but was feeling unsatisfied. Mm-hmm. That's how it starts. That's the framing. Mm-hmm. And he has this Uh, experience and it suddenly changes his entire worldview and he changes his name I forget his actual name it's like Richard Richard Albert Albert. yeah yeah yeah, just Mm -hmm. came to me we said at the same time (laughs) yeah so he changes his name to Ram and becomes this like spiritual figure and I think it just speaks to something I've been thinking a lot about which is like what is the trade-off between as someone who's an academic by training, uh, what is the trade-off between a sort of academic intellectual life and this wonder, this ritual these these more spiritual dimensions
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, these non-symbolic dimensions of our lives which we can over-intellectualize but I don't know if that helps
3: mm-hmm.
2: so I feel like there's some Convergent evolution going on between us both sort of reconsidering this Yeah, this intellectual side of ourselves,
1: right? Yeah, I mean I was definitely boxed into this, you know rational mindset for the longest time and To the point that I think you know that was contributing to my depression like just not being open to so much of the world through spirituality and things like that. And I'm still not really sure what I believe spiritually, but I'm open to these conversations now and open to hearing what other people have to say about it, and it's just so much more liberating and it makes me feel better just knowing that there's uh options that I'm open to now. Um not necessarily, you know, that I've taken any of these on as my you know, core belief, but, I don't know, I guess just the openness feels good.
3: Um. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, no, definitely for the mental health, but there's a way in which, like, cynicism can sort of, comes with this view that, like, it knows best, Mm -hmm. Uh, and, I don't know, just to bring up current events. I feel like in our in our current world in September 2020 mm-hmm. with RBG know, I'm yeah. sure you yeah. heard um, just passed away last night and uh, I'm my family and I have this ongoing conversation and, uh, and actually we had some family friends who got married yesterday so we were talking mm-hmm. and then that news popped up oh, and man. um there was definitely a moment where I felt I don't know just very scared (laughs) very scared for what this means and um, I could see it in my family members the fear Mm -hmm. and I felt like I don't know what was interesting to me was I was kind of trying to avoid at that point, social media and the news too much. But Mm -hmm. I did come across this one, one post, um, by this, I think it was, I think it was Rachel. What is her last name? She has a pretty large following on Instagram, but anyway, it was Rachel Cargill. I, I wanted to make sure that's what I thought it was, but, um, it was a post just about RBG and how she didn't give up hope, and I felt like that's the side that gets left out when you think you know everything. <laughs> and,
1: yeah, and that's and, what everybody's feeling right now, like a loss of hope.
2: Right, right, and the the point of the post was, yes, we all feel this right now, and yet, like, we can't stop the fight. We can't stop, um, you know... If anything to, we can do to honor RBG, it would be... To make sure our voices are heard, like to continue to fight for these issues that we care about—not just like women's rights, but in this day and age, honestly, um, mm-hmm. justice for all. And mm-hmm. uh, I was t- mentioning to you right before we we started recording, I was having a conversation also at the same time with my cousin about mental health, and
3: mm-hmm.
2: it's just been really blatantly obvious that. You know, of course, there's stigmas around mental health, but the current political situation, and especially the people in power, uh,
3: mm-hmm.
2: have this extremely backwards view of the same sorts of issues. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so it just—I I remember reading a story about Joe Rogan and some comments he had made, and about—they were pretty derogatory comments about kids, like things people who do that are depressed and i just realized like there's there really is this association of like mental mental health issues with like weakness Uh and i feel like in reality it's what we're all struggling with and yet uh this view continues to persist and it's so toxic yeah uh so just um listening to black voices on instagram rachel cargill's a a black activist and and academic and and has started her own business but i feel like those those sorts of people sort of see through they see the long-term view which is that like this is one fight and if we give up now we do give in
1: Mm-hmm. yeah there's so much there's so much to think about with ruth bader ginsburg's passing like i've had so many you know mixed thoughts of like, oh, you know, I, the, just the sadness initially, right? But then it's like, okay, we need to be um, celebrating the, the amazing accomplishments that she, you know, um, she had during her life. Um, but then you think about the potential for, you know, the loss of a Supreme Court justice and who's going to replace her and when, you know, cause hopefully, hopefully it's next, you know, presidential term, assuming the term goes the way that, <laughs> uh, we want it to go. Um, but, um, I don't know. There's just so much to think about with that. It's, it's, it's hard to, um, yeah celebrate her life when there's like
2: this huge void
1: yeah a huge void and then like this potential for what it means for the future um the immediate future with the supreme court and everything
2: yeah um yeah i don't have i don't have a lot of things to say about the supreme court specifically although i do think if we've learned anything about the recent appointees, it's that they can surprise us. Uh, I'm not trying to give them any more or less credit than they're due, but, but they can surprise us.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And the interesting thing about RBG is that she she got at these rights by getting at what the other side cared about. And, and this is something I feel increasingly, um, I don't know, it's just increasingly complex because quote unquote, the other side of the issues, I do feel like there's a need to listen to that other side, but only in so far as it gets us to uh, a place of, of justice and, and a place of, you know, creating the sort of society we want to live in. And it seems like we're, we're going backwards there. But the thing about RBG is that she she's she's hailed as this women's rights advocate, but her first and most influential case was about men's rights. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we really need those people who can speak across the divide in that way, like recognize what the other side cares about.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, because I do feel like the divisiveness is is really toxic and I'm not exactly sure how to, to move beyond it. And I, I don't want to diminish the need for like radical change in any way, but it seems like you know the best we can hope for is someone who's able to see that other side and to mm-hmm. see that um because her ca- first case was about uh, someone who was discriminated as a man
0: mm-hmm. and that
2: was able how she was able to get the the rest of the supreme court to see okay and the country mm-hmm. to see like if it discriminates against men um and so i i sort of feel like a similar thing with like the other side quote unquote politically of of our moment, which is that so many of these people, at least from my perspective, are struggling with the same things that we're all struggling with. And yet we have totally different solutions. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we can just get, find that one piece of common ground, which is that we all suffer <laughs> right, uh, and we're all suffering, how can we make it a more equitable, how can we, uh, you know, make it a little bit easier mm-hmm. for people that are suffering and but yeah, it's, it's tough. (laughs) Yeah. These are, these are hard times.
1: Yeah. And I feel like, I don't know, having that kind of influence on, on that scale is so difficult. Um, I feel like I've been, you know, making connections with people who have different views than me, but like on a personal scale and I don't know how to like I mean, maybe it's just my status, but I don't know how to have that kind of influence over um, masses of people and and trying to relate with them and changing their mind or, or making them view something differently. It I don't know. Yeah. I, I guess I, that's that's the I, I think, think what about.
2: what what connection maybe I was trying to make is I do think it ha it has a lot to do with how we see mental health and how we see struggles, and I, I do feel like a lot of what drives a certain kind of Republican um, voter and Republican politician is a feeling of being forgotten, um, being, being left behind, and that's not so different from how a lot of people who struggle with mental health issues feel Mm -hmm. it's just as I said before it's just the way that they perceive that as a weakness that is the issue Mm -hmm. and so I feel like mental health is like this thing I keep coming back to this is what we were sort of talking about right before we started recording I I feel like mental health keeps coming back as this thing that if we can just recognize the way (laughs) in which we we make ourselves suffer Mm
3: -hmm. uh
2: I think a, the, both sides have a lot, a lot of commonality there. Mm-hmm. Um, sure.
1: I actually thought about this too this week. Somebody... I saw a post on Instagram and it was somebody talking about the mindset of conservative America and how basically they're, they're big. What drives them is the idea of fuck liberals. Um, and they see liberals as... Uh, weak and things like that um but and they, they think that it's a sign of strength to not show you know I guess basically their emotions you know to be like to have this attitude of uh they've got to feel strong all the time and like fuck these weak liberals um but I feel like in that and I don't I don't know for sure this is me, like, my interpretation. I feel like they've got to be bottling up so much, uh, you know, mental health issues, so many mental health issues. They're just, they're putting all this stuff aside if they think, you know, they have to be these, you know, macho people all the time. And I think I had that for for a long time you know I bottled up a lot of my mental health issues and it 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 gets harder and harder the longer you do it for sure but I grew up in a house where my mom told both my sister and I like never let anyone see you cry Um, you know it's a sign of weakness and like um, my mom too she uh, she's a chemical engineer and she was one of very few women in her graduating class from from uh, college, um, and you know she's in a, a men dominated uh, workforce, and I mean I think that something that was very valuable for her in her time. To not, like, show signs of weakness and all that. But I think that that's shifting a bit. I think that, um, more and more we're realizing that we're all humans and that we all struggle and that it's not necessarily a bad thing to show, um, emotions, you know? Mm -hmm. In fact, it's probably healthier.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah, I, I I definitely agree and think that, I don't know, just, this has been one of my missions, personally, as a person, uh, just, I feel like I've always been drawn to what I would call now, like, sort of recuperating the, the abject, the, the aspects of ourselves and society that get, um, demeaned or tossed aside. And for me, one of those has always been difficult emotions. And I, I feel things very deeply. And I've always been a, a very deep feeler, mm-hmm. a, a world-class feelings haver. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I felt like even as my my parents weren't I mean they, they were in theory open to these sorts of things but always struggled with my emotions. But I I do think that recovering um, I don't know I just feel like that's a big part of like what I want to do is like help people have these difficult conversations about difficult emotions because a lot of times they really can be the source of the sorts of insights like maybe you would never have had the experience you had if you hadn't struggled beforehand Mm -hmm. maybe you never would have had the impetus to to seek out a different way Mm -hmm. if you hadn't come to this a low point of feeling like the way you were seeing things wasn't enough, and so I feel like it can be an opening, mm-hmm. um, but it has to be. It has it has to be approached in a way. Um, it has to be approached in a way that isn't trying to get rid of the vulnerability that comes with those difficult emotions I feel like vulnerability is another one of those like abject emotions we're not supposed to show or feel Mm -hmm. and yet um, so often that that is what I feel like both sides of all the political uh, theater Mm -hmm. (laughs) at this point is is feeling is is basically just vulnerable Mm -hmm. And so if we can find a way to get people to really tune into that and think about okay If I feel vulnerable, like how do people who are immigrating here from Latin America feel? Mm
3: -hmm. Um,
2: Because they can probably see themselves and the people that they blame for taking their jobs. It's like you both want the same thing to have a better life. And and can't you see that you're both struggling in the same ways? Yeah. I, I think that that used to be more common that people would have transformations around that sort of thing. And I also feel like our current situation is unsustainable so it will come to a head I hope knock on wood Yeah. Um, I feel like we can only go on for so much longer (laughs) ignoring these things
1: I feel like one of the issues is like the bubbles that we all live in with social media and stuff like that you know what I mean because how are we supposed to make these connections you know I'd love to Talk to more conservative people and, ha- and like sit down and like have have a conversation with them, that doesn't get heated over the internet. Like I wanna, I wanna try to connect with them, and, like, express my vulnerability and have them open up to me <laughs> or something. You know, like, and, and who knows? It probably wouldn't go down necessarily that easily with, with, so many people. But, um, but the potential to like have have that kind of excites me a little bit like to be able to sit down with someone and have like a legitimate conversation mm-hmm. but it's just not really it doesn't seem that possible because I live in a different bubble and I don't I don't really see those people or you know they're not in my group of of friends or whatever um so I don't know how to have those interactions I just yeah or make those connections and make them think about things in a different way.
2: Um, I mean, I think it does require some, some degree of like willingness on both sides to find a common ground.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, Cause I do think there is a common ground
3: mm-hmm.
2: and yet it's, it's not fashionable to, to recognize that because we are so polarized mm-hmm. um, yeah, I feel like it really comes down to not trying to convince someone, but finding the common values mm-hmm. um, and and addressing those. But it's a difficult situation. I feel like we're we're in this we're we're in a transitional moment.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: and that feels heavy, but it can also be I'm trying to tune into the aspects of it that feel transformational mm-hmm. transformative
1: I guess what i'm when I'm like thinking about trying to convince someone <laughs> what I'm like focusing on in my head is like basic human rights, you know what I mean like <laughs> I can't get over the idea that people are. People are protesting protesters who just want everyone to have basic human rights, you know what I mean? And I think that that is something that if you sat down with somebody, you should be able to convince them. Okay, yeah, I see it now. We're being dicks. (laughs) Like, we need to consider human rights for every single person, not just, you know not just ourselves, you know. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, I recently heard something kind of hopeful around that, which was this woman, or actually, I'm not sure if they were a woman or a man, but uh, maybe even someone who's non-binary, but they were talking about um, trying to get transgender rights and the way that they went about that in, I, I believe it was Florida, and this person went to someone's house, they they knocked on the door and they had this conversation with this person who was um, male, male identified and anyway uh, what they ended up coming to was like the the person asked them about their view of transgender people they were like kind of opposed but anyway they, they started talking about people they loved and they realized like you know this person had a wife that he loved and the transgender person had a partner that they loved and that was able that was how they were able to to communicate with the other person. It's like, well just like you love your wife, like I love my partner and I want to be able to do things with my partner and not be discriminated against. And Mm -hmm. so that's why I say I feel like the common values like common common of all humanity values are what's really important
1: right okay yeah I mean I think we're hitting the same thing but um (laughs) yeah just using different terminology I think that making the connection first and and finding the common ground is definitely the best way to to have someone come around to understanding um and potentially you know changing their mind on something that so critical um let's take a little break here because this podcast is just about to reach 60 minutes which um it's gonna stop automatically if i don't stop here so hey i hope y'all are enjoying the show but during this little break we're gonna have our our commercial for anchor um so please enjoy this musical rendition by elmore McStickens. And then we'll get back into the show. And we're back. Uh, So uh, one thing that we've touched on a lot is mental health. Um, And that was kind of a theme I've I've been wanting to stick with for September. Um, Just because it is Suicide Awareness Month. And um, to go back, uh, I guess to go to that, Um, that's something that I opened up to you about, um, maybe a month ago or I I can't remember exactly, but just how I had previously had suicidal thoughts and, um, and you had opened up to me a little bit about that as well. And we talked a little bit about like, I guess the taboo about speaking about it, how it makes people uncomfortable and all that kind of stuff. Um. And I just kind of wanted to to get back to talking about that a little bit,
2: right? Um, it totally fits with my theme of um, wanting to recover the abject. So, oh yeah, exactly. It's one of those things that I feel when I was listening to your first podcast, I was, I feel like I keep getting these life reminders that um, mental health is a calling of mine. Um, this, I'm gonna go back for a second here. Uh, when I was younger. I felt like of my family members, which I love my family so much, but I always felt like the, the, I feel like my sister also always felt like the black sheep. In fact, maybe all four of my family members, parents and and the two kids have felt like the black sheep at some point. But I remember um, there was a big deal made about my own mental health as a kid and it was really kind of traumatizing for me i i remember my mom this is an ongoing joke in our family she gave me a book called uh, normal is just a setting on the dryer which was meant to be a comforting book but was just really like such a like siren of like you need to be told you're normal and here's a book that i found and i just it, it still comes up to this day as kind of a joke of like yeah and you gave me this book called normal it's just a setting on the dryer to make me feel normal and you knew i wasn't normal (laughs) and so it's just this funny thing but also i also look back on it because i feel like i realized even as a kid that this was like i don't know i just i think i clashed with my family i just my mom would say things like um you were mentioning can't remember if we were recording or not but you were mentioning how your mom sort of emphasized to you that you can't cry in public and I remember there were times when my mom would also get on to me for crying uh, in public and I would just think it was so absurd that she was caring about caring about what society thought about me crying when like I was crying that was clearly the more important thing but I could never really get her to that view and I feel like I realized early on It it wasn't super early on, but, you know, I resisted the current mental health system because I recognized that bias was built into it. Like, it was built into the way we talked about it, and I realized that was a huge problem. Mm -hmm. And I also realized that mental health is something that affects, like, I don't know, virtually every single person I've ever met, and yet there's only some of them who are willing to, to acknowledge that fact, that, like, they have a mental life. Like, period. If you have a mental life, like therapy is for you (laughs) yeah I feel like and I don't know there's this meme I really like I shouldn't maybe I shouldn't say it but it's just something like I'm in therapy for all the people that won't go to therapy or something like that that's Uh I'm paraphrasing but I feel like that's kind of true in a way I don't mean to be I'm half joking but I do feel like we could all use the extra perspective and yet um, so few of us are still willing to acknowledge that. Is it's not even something worth admitting you know
1: yeah yeah um, this is getting me thinking this is like a completely new thought that I've been having since we just started this um, I've been able to open up with so many people about my mental health uh But mostly just, like, this has been strangers or friends. But the people who I haven't been really willing to open up about this to is my parents. (laughs) I still don't really want to talk to my parents about my mental health. The only time that I mentioned to my parents that I was suicidal, I got in a yelling match with my mom over something stupid and, like, that I just like blurted it out like and I was I think I kind of brought it up uh in an attempt to kind of blame them for my shitty mental health, but I haven't ever sat down with them and had like just a real conversation about my mental health it's It's only came out really in that that instance where I had that that fight with my mom. Um, so it's weird you know I want to be more open about all this stuff and I have been with people but it's all been people besides my family I don't know I think there's some part of me that's like scared about what they're going to say or how they're going to take it
2: yeah, family is tough. I mean, those those bonds, those relationships are really deep. I see it in my own family. Like I, I said, I feel like my parents are very supportive, and I, it's definitely something we've talked about. And yet, I don't. I still feel like they don't quite understand my perspective yet, even though they're very open. So, the point is, is like I feel like it's a difficult topic, and I can see why. Honestly, I feel the older that I get. Um, that it's a natural part of our evolution as beings as individuals as humans that um there is some point where maybe your parents aren't the most important audience you know what i mean like they are an important audience but you have to do certain things for yourself like that you have done as as an adult Mm -hmm. and i do feel like sometimes there is a timing thing where bringing things up at the right time. Like, I feel like your hesitancy is basically not necessarily warranted, but certainly forgiven in the sense that uh, it's very understandable why you would feel that discomfort, and I don't blame you. And and there is a part of you that you... I feel like that people need to protect for themselves until they're ready.
3: Mm -hmm. So
2: I feel like eventually you will have that conversation, but I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing that that hasn't happened yet because... um, yeah why subject it to why subject this this good feeling to them when you're still just exploring it like come to it at a time that feels right for you when you feel like you can come back and say and I don't know I, I just feel like find the time that's right for you and don't um, rush it because you can have a plenty and enough deep relationship with your family without needing to know every little thing and and actually, I, my own experience of mental illness is the, those times when I feel like I'm predicting what other people think. I'm a lot happier when I recognize I don't know what other people think, and maybe that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's a good thing that there's, I don't know, just some sort of level of interpretation to things.
3: hmm protective yeah. Yeah.
2: in a way that's like allowing this thing to be nurtured it's yeah. like I'm going to protect you from the elements that might might weather you a bit
1: I like your answer about <laughs> waiting till the right time because <laughs> I feel like uh, if I did go to them now it would just feel forced you know I don't know I just I don't feel ready to talk to them about it I just <sighs> I feel like and this might just be my interpretation, but I feel like there's so much judgment that I get from my parents, just from historically, like, becoming vegetarian or losing my faith and things like that. Um, to to throw on them my mental health issues <laughs> seems like, uh, you know, just another burden I'm going to put on them. And I just don't feel ready to, like, Have that conversation with them. I don't know.
2: Yeah, no. I and what I think is like that's fine. That's fine. It's it. What you're not saying is like I'm never going to talk to them about it. You're saying I just I don't want to right now. And I feel like that's that's completely fine. Like you have a support network of friends here, and and you're supporting yourself and the the rituals you're taking up and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And hey, Duke, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which I feel like is always good for dogs are great. Pets are great. But, um, yeah, I feel like basically you're, you're doing everything right. Like, remember that you're, you're doing everything the way you should be doing it. Yeah. So often just having that belief, I've realized it's so hard, but it really makes a difference when you just believe like, no, I'm doing it right. Yeah. And, and this is what's right for me because this is what's happened and Mm -hmm. what is happening.
1: Yeah. I guess, um, but i guess one of the big things that i've i've found is that talking about mental health issues with people has been really incredible and that that could be a therapist i actually have never done therapy and really? yeah never. no never wow i mean i guess i've done a form of it where i've talked to so many people about it i've i have researched therapy multiple times um and I really struggled with finding, finding someone who was available during non-work hours, like. I got you. You know, I work a normal work week. When when do I have time during that work week to? I don't know. I I think my company would understand if I went once a month to like see a therapist or something, but it just seems. I don't know. It seems like something. I'd rather not have to do, like, skip out on work to, to go to therapy. Um, and I really struggled with finding someone with, like, a sliding scale uh, who was going to be available on the weekends or on nights. Um, and it just, it seemed, it all seemed so daunting. I wish, like, I wish somebody could have told me, like, hey, I see a therapist on weeknights. This is mine. They're great, you know. Mm-hmm. But that never actually happened, so. Uh.
2: Yeah, I recently showed my students a bunch of, like, what I called, quote, troubling statistics, and they were about basically the statistics were the first half was demonstrating the extreme prevalence, the widespread pev- prevalence of mental health issues in the world, mm-hmm. uh, worldwide. It was like CDC and, and WHO information. And the other half was showing. How we only spend 2% of our, on average, budgets. Like, countries spend, on average, 2% of their health budgets on mental health.
1: Man,
2: 2%. And I was like, this is, like, affecting one in four people, and that's probably an underestimate because people are self-reporting, and there's all the stigma, so a lot of people who have it are not saying that they have it, and therefore, this number is way too low, and yet we spend 2% of Mm. our health budget on it. Mm-hmm. I couldn't believe that I knew it was bad I didn't know it was that bad mm-hmm. uh, and I teach a class on, on me- mindfulness and medicine at Rice uh, a writing class and we read and watch a lot of things that really emphasize this point that mental health is still denigrated even by medical practitioners medical pr- you know professionals and a lot of my students are aspiring doctors so I feel like good I got them while they're freshmen. (laughs) Yeah, really. Maybe they'll be, you know, different and they'll change medicine. And all of them do, like, want to. They all say, just like, um, destroying the leaf. But a lot of them say that they're there because uh, they recognize the shortcomings in conventional medicine, the way that uh, saying something like it's just in your head is really a derogatory phrase. It's not, I don't feel like it's... It's meant with as much malice as actually, the the harm that comes from that sort of thing. Dismissing something as being all in your head, yeah, Uh, it's a very dismissive. It turns out like it has like real medical benefit or outcomes. uh, That when you dismiss something like that, you don't address it, and that's another, like terrible statistic. It's something like the average amount of time between someone starting to feel a mental health issue. And getting help is eight to ten years,
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think when I first started to really feel depression set in was probably my s- sophomore year of college, and I was about <laughs> I was about like just over ten years before I started like actually opening up to people um you're, about you're my average
2: <laughs> <laughs> you're average you're within the 10 year
1: let's see It was probably 2000 2008 so yeah wait that was 12 years yeah for sure a
2: little bit longer not yeah. so average <laughs> yeah you're above average <laughs>
1: <laughs> something to brag about there no not really no no, no but I bottled I had... it up for so long, it got worse and worse. I mean, and I think part of me opening up was I couldn't take it anymore. And I I hadn't been going to therapy. And so I found that opening up to other people was, was. I was starting to finally get some helpful things just by opening up to people about my mental issues. And I think that's, that's what started me just opening up to people more and more. It's just like, oh, that person had something helpful. Let me try opening up to this person and this person. So, that's a piece of advice. If you're scared about therapy, just try opening up to your friends and people you meet, because other people have gone through similar things and and you know have potential solutions or ways to help. Um, mm-hmm. I think I've already mentioned that maybe on both of the previous. <laughs> podcast but I think that's my biggest thing is just being open being open to other people but also being open to trying um trying new things and uh potential solutions for for dealing with it
2: yeah it's so important our social connections right now I feel like during this pandemic especially we're all for the most part trying to, to isolate ourselves like uh, at least to a, a far greater degree than normal and it's um so important though that we still connect with other people and, and sharing your story I feel like you will all feel that you're more normal <laughs> uh, a lot of these things are are really it's still like I said I teach this class and every year all my students you know end up confessing in a way that they've struggled with these things and I'm like you all are the norm like if you're struggling with these things like you're paying attention you're you're like there you you feel the the weight of the world right now and so I think like there's a lot of reasons to so don't I don't know I I really want to get rid of this whole like normal pathological distinction I feel like it's mm-hmm. it's really unhelpful mm-hmm. and Um, it obscures the fact that there is, like... If there is a normal, it's a lot more variegated than we give it credit for.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: Okay, there's one more thing that I've thought of. Um, I thought about the timing of my whole shift, um, how I had this shift in March, and... I think the timing of it couldn't have been better for me because I I had already been struggling mentally and I just think about what what I would be like if I didn't have that shift in my mindset Um, dealing with the coronavirus and like the pandemic and everything else in the state that I was in I mean uh I don't know, it's scary to think about how dark things would have gotten for me had I not had that shift when I had it. So, it's one of those. I know we've talked a bit in the past about like deterministic mindsets, but like if the universe, like, does have a plan for people or something and, like, you know, wanted people to stick around longer and all that, the timing of that couldn't have been more perfect, I think, because. I can imagine how hard things would be for me had I not had that shift when I had it um, going into current times, so um, I don't know, just something interesting I thought of this last week, but yeah, I guess um do you have any takeaways or like things that you want to say regarding mental health as we? End this here soon. Mm.
2: No, no, I think we've covered it for now.
1: Okay, great. Well, it's great to have you on, and uh, hope y'all enjoyed. Me. Hope y'all enjoyed this episode. Um, do you want to plug anything?
2: <laughs> Nothing to plug. Just this view right now of Hey Duke and the petals, the leaves falling down. It's a nice morning.
1: It's a great morning. Okay. Well, thank you all for listening. Bye. Hey, I hope you enjoyed the show uh I can't get over how much I enjoyed talking with jade she's just she's a wealth of knowledge and she has such great insights um to offer and It's always great to talk to her, and I will definitely have her back on the show um I guess before I wrap things up, I wanted to mention like I do in all of the episodes how um <laughs> All the money from the advertisements and any subscriptions to this podcast uh half of the half of the proceeds at the end of the month will be donated to a charity and this month it is the Trevor project and the Trevor Project is a charitable organization that um works with the lgbtq community uh especially children and young adults uh people under the age of twenty five in um basically providing suicide prevention. Um, counselors uh, they work for you know lobbying for legislation to improve things for the lgbtq community and um i think they're doing really great stuff so that's who i'll be donating to at the end of the month um so you know if you want to donate your money i'd really appreciate it um but, if you just spread the word too um for every listen, I get a little bit of money from the advertisement, so just tell your friends about the show um I guess if i'm <laughs> i I still don't really even know how to check this, but subscribe um I don't know how many people how many of my friends have subscribed, but I think it helps me a little bit. I don't know it might help other people find the podcast um it's such a small group of people listening to it that i'm sure for a random person to stumble upon it is going to be almost impossible but um who knows uh maybe they'll make some weird uh genre of podcast you can look up you know science podcasts or um you know pol- political podcasts and maybe in some weird um, Sub genre, if you go really far, far down on the list, is a uh, uh, podcast that started at the this month that are um, about swampy wolves, um, who are interested in mental health and other things. That genre, I'm probably at the top of the list, um, so thank you for everyone who has listened and subscribed because you're the ones that put me there that top of the list. So, um, anyway, (laughs) I hope you all have a good night if it's night or good morning, if it's morning. Um, thanks for listening. Bye.